You're listening to the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast. I'm your host, L.M. Fisher, musician, producer, and creator. This episode of our industry-focused collaboration with the Roots Music Project features Danny Grant, owner and manager of the legendary Mishawaka Amphitheater and an integral part of starting the Colorado chapter of Sonic Guild. We spoke virtually about how venues operate in the music business, ways bands and venues can build good relationships, how bands can approach booking and marketing, and so much more. This is the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast with Danny Grant. are tuning in to the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. I'm very excited today to welcome Danny Grant, owner of the legendary Mishawaka Amphitheater, and I will go on with a list of other amazing contributions to the music industry in Colorado, but for now, welcome Danny. We'll be talking today um, about the music business side, and we're really excited for artists listening to get this unique perspective on how venues work and how they should be communicating. Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm very well. Excited to be here to share. Well, we are very excited to have your perspective. So as I've said before, you own and manage the Mishawaka Amphitheater, which is like a historic venue in northern Colorado. You've introduced at least three stages across the front range, all within the Chippers Lanes. You founded Spokes Buzz Fort Collins, which supported artists from 2009 to 2016. You were serving on boards supporting music, the local community. You were an integral part of starting the Colorado chapter of Sonic Guild. What fuels your passion for curating live music? You know, I have always been in love with music, but I was not a successful musician. I realized pretty early on that I was not going to be the one. Um, and so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to have music in my, in my work life. And when I finally was able to bridge that gap and, and put music business into my work life, I was very happy, you know, and to wake up every morning and know that what you're doing today is, is work, but it's also fun. And it, it blurs between those two things is so amazing. So I really all of the things that I work on and do, I do out of um, a passion for just being involved in the arts. My mom was a mus- was not a musician. She was a um, painter. She is a painter actually still. And I grew up with her working on her craft and meeting with a lot of artists. And, you know, I always um, wondered why she had such a hard time with the business aspect of it. And my father was an entrepreneur. So I spent a lot of time translating between the two of them and um, and trying to support my mom and trying to figure out how to get her business off and running. But she was a creative through and through and wasn't really interested in the business part. And I think it's something that I, I see in a lot of really wonderfully creative artists is that they want to work on their craft. And they want to perform. They don't necessarily want to figure out the business part. However, that really provides the support that they need to continue being a musician and potentially be a musician, you know, as their career, not just as a hobby, right. While they work three other jobs. So um, that was the most fascinating opportunity for me working with Spokesbuzz and developing artists was figuring out how, how do we get you your business acumen and get you started to, you know, support your 
business, which is a band, and still be able to focus on 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 the on the creative and 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 um, the part that you love that. I think most artists who are in this for their lifetimes do it because they have to, because they really love it and they can't do anything else because this is their passion. So how do you get them to a place where they can be, you know, make a living wage? That's so important. And I think it's something that so many artists, including myself, struggle with. And so it's really fantastic for you to take that mind and be the liaison between, you know, business and creative and you, it, you really sounds like you had a perspective on both sides and how both are important to balance out. What are some challenges venues face when dealing with the business side of making music? Uh, you know, I I have several challenges. One, obviously competition. I'm an indie venue. There are a lot of big gorillas out there that really manage the flow of musicians across the country and, you know, can manipulate um, pricing and tickets and those kinds of things. So it's tough. It's tough being an indie venue. You have to work harder. You have to reach out more. You have to really create an opportunity for the artists to enjoy themselves. That's why Mishawaka works so hard to have lovely hospitality. We know today's opener is tomorrow's headliner, and we try really hard to invest in everyone who comes work to play at the Mish, to work at the Mish. They are working, but it's like play. So yeah, we, we really work hard at trying to make it as fun as possible to handle that competition. Um, and we also just continue doing things our way, the right way. Um, and I think that helps as well. And people recognize that all indie venues need to be creative, you know? Um, another thing, you know, a challenge is, is that sometimes agents um, and managers will keep artists in the dark about offers. So you can offer an offer an offer, but, and maybe because for example, the Mishawaka is a really fun place to be for an artist. It's a nice respite on tour. The agents or the managers may not think it's the best choice for their business and potentially don't share with the artist that there's been an offer made to go play the Mishawaka because it doesn't support their finances the way they want them to. So that's frustrating. Um, and the last thing that I think is really a challenge is making sure that you've got a really good distribution of women and BIPOC artists, which is something that's really important to me as a woman venue owner, which there are a few of us out here, I really want to see women grace my stage. And you can make a hundred offers and you may not get all the acts that you want. And so you can end up at the end of the season, kind of looking back and saying, damn, I, I really wanted to have more women and more BIPOC artists on my stage. Um, so I think that's a challenge. And oftentimes some of the, if, you know, if you're booking some world music or things like that, that might bring some really good diversity to your stage, they may not be the most popular in your market. And so you have to spend that money to invest. And that's a challenge too, of figuring out how, how much do I want to lose on this act? Because I think it's an important act to play in my market. Um, but you know, you, you figure it out and you make, you make, um, you know, accommodations where you can to try and make it happen. Oh, that's so fascinating. I didn't even think that, you know, managers or, or agents would be holding offers like that. And when you think about a venue booking, it's not something that generally is talked about is that, well, sometimes like we have to fill our season and, you know, we can put offers out there, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, like it's a business and we have to adjust accordingly. That's really fascinating. So let's talk about once a show is booked, 
and everything is in line. What do venues expect from bands in regards to marketing and promoting? That's such a great question. And I think sometimes it's really lost on some artists that we're in this together. You know, it's a it's a joint effort and, you know, one or the other cannot make it work as well as the collaborative efforts and the coordinated efforts can work. So I think just understanding that we're in it together um, is important. It's not just like, oh, I've booked the show. Now the venue gets people there. We have to do it together because the the artist is the best conduit to their fan. And we can do our best. We can be a dark advertiser on the artist's social media page for them, which we do often. Um, but it, it, it's always more authentic and more, you know, heartfelt when the messaging is coming from the artist saying, hey, I'm really excited to play the show. You know, I haven't played in in the you know front range market in a year. Please come out and see me. And here's a video of my new song. You know, th- those kinds of things make a huge difference. Um, also not playing the market right before or right after, you know, shooting yourself in the foot by playing a show too close to the show that you really want. Um, I've had artists who are like the first time they get to play the, you know, the Mish and they do some silly sideshow and my buyers say, well, that wasn't a good idea. Maybe we shouldn't book that band anymore because they're not being thoughtful about our taking a risk on their act. So that's, that, those are some of the ways the marketing and promoting together and working together really make a difference. How do venues navigate the ticket sale process with bands? Is there a process that you think works better than others? I mean, we don't usually work with artists on tickets potentially, but what we do need is good marketing assets and we need good you know, press approved photos and we need to know a reasonable ticket price, right? Um, there's if you want to make X number of dollars for your show, we will have to charge your your fans a certain dollar amount for a ticket. And if that ticket price doesn't fit with your fan base, then we should talk about it. You know, so that's one way that we should really work together um, and make sure that you, you know the venue's fees are in line with what your fans are are used to. I think that's a question that artists rarely ask: is how many, how much are the fees on these tickets? You know, what's the end result? fan when they go to buy a ticket to my show, am I going to offend them? Or is this going to be too rich for their blood if I'm asking for this much money? And then be flexible. You know, like the the venue can pay, you know, we do our business, our profit doesn't come from ticket sales. You know, our profit comes from food and beverage. And so we want as many people there as possible because then that's what helps our business continue. So if we overprice the ticketing to hit a guarantee level and nobody shows up, we all, we, we all lose. So how has the approach to booking and promoting shows evolved since the, since the pandemic? Has there been any flexibility there and new approaches to getting people out to those shows? You know, I think one thing I've noticed is that shows are, are more important to people now. I think everybody realizes the health benefits, the mental health benefits of, of being with like people seeing artists that you love, you know, I think people really want that experience. Um, but they're not buying as many tickets as often. They're kind of being more choosy. And I think they also really, really want their experience to be good if they're going to pay for a ticket and come out. You know, I think the the days of, 
you know, whatever. I don't care what the place is like when I go watch the show. I think that's changed a little bit. I think they want to know that the venue's taking care of them, that they're safe. And that's not just from COVID. I think that's just in general, people are have a higher expectation of of feeling safe when they're watching a show. And I think that's long overdue, but I guess that's a silver lining of the pandemic for sure. Yeah. And I imagine with Mishawaka, it's nice because it is an outdoor venue that there's a little bit more of that feeling of safety and being around people and being outside, you know, versus a a venue that you're all boxed in together, um, like sardines. From your perspective on the industry, is there an approach that you've seen local bands take to marketing and promotion that has really worked to get a huge audience out to the shows? You know, I think local bands that sell consignment tickets grow their fan base really well. And I'll, and I'll tell you why it's not a, it's not a pay to play kind of thing. Like I, I, I know some bands are very leery of consignment ticket sales because they're like, ugh, you know, I have to sell tickets in order to play this, this show. But from a venue's perspective, it's a really good way for us to gauge what your actual fan base is like, you know, who's coming to see you and why. And also the hustle that, that artists do when they're trying to sell consignment tickets makes them reach out to their fans more. You know, it's, it's like a forced, um, you know, talk to them on social media, you know, go out and see people and ask them if they want to buy tickets to the show. Because the way that they are pushed in a certain way to get closer and, and you know, touch base with their fans more often. Um, and it's it's terrible because, you know, ironically, the budget is usually smaller for a local act than a national act. And it's harder to get people out, right, for the local act. So, you know, it's all it's all about hustles. Um, and we do we do understand that local bands do their best, but it's hard. And it's also hard that, you know, they're trying to make a living in a smaller footprint than a regional or a touring national act. Um, So we try and be understanding of that, but still keeping your fans waiting to see you for a little bit in your home market um, can do you good too. Also, I would suggest, you know, to local bands, don't play a room that's too big for you. I know it's like fun to be like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to, I got, I got my show at the Aggie. I'm going to headline the Aggie. But if you can't fill it up, um, that can, that can make you feel like you're less successful than you are. And it can make the fans who do show up feel like, you know, it's not as great of a show. So I'd always say, you know, play rooms that suit your current fan base, you know, and if you sell out and you're busting the seams at a venue, that's never a bad thing, whether it's a hundred cap venue or a 500 cap venue. If you're busting the seams at that venue, you're going to get more money and you're going to get more shows booked because that venue is going to really want you there. And it's also going to bode better when you go to the bigger venue and you tell them, hey, I used to play this 300 cap, you know, live in lanes venue, but now I need a, I need a 600 cap because I have that many people who want to see my show. That's great advice at building solid relationships with the venues. What other ways can artists work to develop those relationships beyond just showing, hey, I, I brought in an audience. This is going to be a good relationship for both of us. Yeah. I mean, I think communicating and caring about the show is really important. I think reading emails while, you know, we are completely understanding some of these artists are working two and three jobs and trying to do this business on the side of their band, but really reading emails and giving answers. There's a lot of people working really hard on the show setup and the show promotion. And when a band doesn't respond or only responds to one of the five things that the email says, it can be super frustrating. And also, I, I think bands and venues just need to be more careful about 
the intentions of the show, you know, like who, who is the fan base? What are you trying to do? And I think if we do that in a vacuum as a venue, we may, we may not portray your band, the message the right way. And I think that's, nobody wants that. So communication is really big. What do you think works in an EPK to successfully help book a show? Are there certain types of photos or certain levels of storytelling that you're looking for as a venue owner over that would make you choose a band over another? You know, if a band creates an EPK that has some really interesting front punch points that are intriguing, I think that's really helpful. So, you know, having, you know, a list of bands you've opened up for, you know, my band sounds like Radiohead. That's, that's helpful. You know, like if I'm, especially if I'm looking for an opening act, you know, we'll catalog it and we'll say, oh, this is a great band. They draw about 200 people and they sound like Radiohead. That means I could put them in front of this band and, and it would probably be great, you know, and then we'll go delve in further to review music and social medias, but also just, just like a, a stats count on the front of the email, like, you know, social media is following is this, um, here's a link to a really well, um, mixed and mastered music link. You know, here's a photo of the band. Here's what we sound like, you know, real simple, simple on the front end. And then if you have an EPK, that's pretty, that has more information, then we'll delve into it further. But I think that first part of the email that's above the fold is really important to engage with a buyer. That's great. Yeah. You want to make a splashy impact. And it's really about like the first thing you see. And honestly, you know, bands are busy, venues are busy. So I, I think you're absolutely right that it's important to make that that almost log line first so that it's like, okay, we know what we're looking at. And now we can take the time to go in and dig in the into the details. Do you have any last words of wisdom for local bands interested in performing live? I do. I, you know, talk to people, meet with people. Um, people in the industry are generally happy to meet with developing bands. It's surprising even the fact that you can get meetings with lots of people. And here's why. We love musicians, right? Like we are, we're excited about the music you're creating. We're excited to meet you and talk with you. And, you know, most of us who work in the business part of music and are not musicians do that because we can't make the music right. <laughs> so, so we like to meet the people who can meet, make the music. And I'd also say, you know, know who your audience is and have some insight and perspective on your live performance based on who your audience is. And I mean, from your stage presence to your artwork on your merch, to what type of merch you're selling, to, you know, all the things. I think if we spend some time thinking about them, the fans, a little bit and, you know, kind of shine that light and, and be taking a look at how you're performing, what you're doing, even what you're wearing, you know, like, like you may be really connecting in a stronger way with your fan base if you are aware of who they are and what they like. So generally speaking, you're all aligned anyway, because your music reaches people that love you. Um, but there's more that can be done. And I think a little bit of effort goes a long way. 
Well, Danny, thank you so much for taking the time and some really invaluable points that you've made there. Enjoy the rest of your day. And for all of you out there listening, please make sure to check out the Mishawaka Theater, Chipper's Lanes. There's some amazing local venues in town that Danny is the head of, and they're doing amazing things for local artists. So definitely put them on your map when booking local shows. Thanks for your time. I really enjoyed myself. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast's collaboration with the Roots Music Project. Check out the links in our show notes for upcoming events at the Mishawaka Amphitheater and Chipper's Lanes, and to become a member of Sonic Guild Colorado.